Chris Sabatini of Columbia University and the editor of Latin America Goes Global, the new website, joins us again on Latin Pulse. Welcome back to the program. Thanks, Rick. It's great to be here again. We want to talk to you about this change of government in Argentina and the unexpected win of Mauricio Macri, the, the upset victory, I guess. It seems to be that that politics is all in upheaval now in Argentina and a change of government coming uh, very soon here in early December. Yeah, this wasn't expected. Um, you know, the uh, Kirchner's first Nestor Kirchner and then Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner had governed Argentina for 12 years, coming into power right after the, the Argentina's Great Depression 2001 that ended uh, a previous president's uh, term early because of popular protests. Um, and, you know, for a long time, the Kirchners were very popular, um, popular for a variety of reasons, one being they did restore Argentina to economic growth. They uh, basically stiffed a bunch of Argentina's creditors, which is popular with Argentines who felt they had been under the thumb of the IMF for a very long time. Um, they you know, really kept, uh, they brought em- employment back, uh, they reduced unemployment, um, and so they were very, very popular. And uh, after uh, Nestor Kirchner passed away, his, uh, the, well, Christina had already been elected, he passed away, and they were, the original plan was to have them switch back and forth, So, because you cannot have consecutive terms uh, according to the Argentine Constitution, but you can have unconsecutive in- 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 terms. So. He, uh, they were planning to govern for quite a while, and I think this came as quite a surprise. She couldn't run again. Uh, her appointed candidate, uh, Daniel Scioli, um, just lost. And, um, you know, it's, it's, the economy is, is beginning to tank. I would say it's, it's on the point of a potential crisis, actually probably a crisis, uh, not even potential. But her, she, as a person, remains very popular. She just couldn't pass on that charisma to Daniel Scioli. And uh, Mauricio Macri, a conservative candidate, he's actually the first conservative president elected in Argentina in recent history, um, unexpectedly won. So it's going to be a very big change because it's not, and it's, you know, he's not from one of the traditional parties that has governed Argentina basically since the turn of the century almost, or since the 1930s, which is the Peronists and the Radicals have basically swapped power um, during democratic times. Now you've got this, um, this man who comes from a very rich family. Uh, he's been he's been mayor of Buenos Aires, um, and he comes from a conservative party, which is going to be very uh, interesting to watch. He really started this party, the Republican proposal, and it's only been around for a fairly short time, and then created this alliance, the We Change Alliance, um, that that brought together a lot of centrist parties. But as you say, this is this is really the first time we have someone who's a who labels himself as a Republican, who's going to be running Argentina um, in, in its modern history. Um, so help us with, with the party situation there. It's really been the Peronists that have dominated since, uh, since the 1940s, really. Um, there are many of our listeners who I don't think understand the importance of the Peronists and what a, what a cataclysmic change this is. Yeah, uh, Peronism is uh, basically, it's a very curious party in the sense that it has it's very ideologically amorphous. Uh, it started out as a quasi-fascist party under Juan Perón, um, and then after he was exiled, um, in which the government tried to govern the country without Peronism, um, a number of communist groups, including uh, um, communist guerrilla groups, attached themselves to Peronism as well. Um, and basically, in, after in 1976, the government decided the military government said it, it couldn't govern without the Peronists um, participating in politics, so they invited Juan Perón back. Um, but it's maintained its sort of stature as being a very 
um, ideologically amorphous party, very vertical, very, very populist in its orientation, and just really a political machine that has consistently, regardless, I mean, I'm sorry, regardless of the uh, party in power, the person who heads the party, it employs the same methods. It, it, it Basically, it's got a union that's attached to it, um, and when it's been out of party, it out of power, rather, it uses the unions to sort of take the streets and paralyze the government. Um, it is definitely a party that's not accustomed to being in power because basically its base, its patronage, all those things depend on its access to being its, its positions in government. So it's going to be very curious, interesting, and, and kind of scary uh, to see how it performs now um, that it's outside power, especially after 12 years in which you know 40% of the population in Argentina is employed by the state. And a large number of those people are going to have to be cut back. And I'll talk about the economic situation in a bit, but will probably have to be um, laid off. And a lot of those are Peronists, and a lot of those are going to be very easily mobilized by the Peronist party to uh, you know, potentially wreak political havoc on the country. The Economist magazine headlined this as the end of populism. And you're in, in your last answer, you talked about populism quite a bit. So um, the way The Economist frames this is this is not just a big change for Argentina, but that this could also be a, a bit of a shift in South America uh, on the diplomatic front, too, um, as we see countries move away from populism. Yeah. I, first, the economics of what's going on in Argentina and elsewhere is the last countries like Venezuela, Ecuador, uh, Bolivia, Argentina, um, really coasted on a wave of uh, Chinese growth and then the commodities boom. In Argentina, that was primarily soybeans and agricultural products. For Venezuela, it was oil. Uh, Brazil as well, obviously benefited from iron exports and agricultural exports. Um, and this allowed a lot of these countries, Brazil's not as populist, it's much more the party is much more um, pragmatic, um, uh, programmatic in that sense. But for the others, like Hugo Chavez and later Maduro in Venezuela, the Kirchner's, in Argentina, they had this windfall of commodity prices that allowed them to basically avoid any tough um, market-oriented policies. And now, with China's economy cooling, you're finally seeing the commodity prices come down, and a lot of these governments are facing, uh, obviously, very tough economic times. In Argentina right now, it's estimated, we don't know because they changed the statistics off it, but it's estimated that inflation is about 25%. Um, they, uh, they have imposed strict currency controls to basically try to shore up their reserves, but th they only have about $26 billion in reserves in the central bank, uh, which has limited their ability to import goods. And uh, basically, more or less, the economy has been flatlining for the last four years and will, will likely contract some this year and next year. Um, and they have uh, basically their uh, public deficit. Uh, to GDP is 6%, which is huge. So, you know, all these countries that coasted for so long are now kind of facing the, the consequences of their populism and, and a little of their bad economic policies. But also, I mean, I think what's happened is that politically, these governments engage in a level of sort of um, you know, politicking and making of enemies, very divisive policies that I think, you know, in the case of Argentina, people are just getting sick of. They're sick of, you know, seeing the divisiveness, the the uh, antagonism towards the United States. Uh, Mauricio Macri very clearly spoke out against Venezuela during his campaign, and that rallied um, what is his potential base. 
Um, so it, it's a curious shift in right now that we're seeing in, in politics in Latin America. I think it's going to be a shift towards, I wouldn't say more conservative, in this, not more right wing, but I would say more um, pragmatic economic and political policies. But is this shift uh, also a bit on a razor's edge? Because uh, a month ago, Macri would have lost by three points if it had just been a two-person race, perhaps, with Daniel Scioli, who, who was Fernandez's chosen person. So in in the first round of the elections, Macri lost. This time he won by about as much as he had lost by in the first round. So um, are we looking at polarization then coming into um, Argentina and therefore into other parts of the region? Yes. I, I think the legacy, the political legacy of these governments, uh, whether in Argentina, Ecuador, and Venezuela in particular, of divisiveness, you know, um, naming and shaming enemies, accusing the media of being partisan. Actually, you see some of that in the Republican uh, primaries in the United States. Now that I think about it, but the uh, but uh, that that has led and stoked, I think, a lot of divisiveness in these countries that will remain. People may get tired of it, but as we see, the razors of victory, razor edge victory that you saw in Argentina, you know, that demonstrates that Kirchner's are still, by and large, very popular despite what is a horrible economic record. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough call, and I think these, uh, and the same thing for Venezuela, as, as, you know, as badly as this economy is doing, and as disliked as Nicolas Maduro is, the current president, um, you know, the country's facing elections uh, December 6th, but, you know, there's still, the country's still divided between Chavistas, those who are pro the former government, Hugo Chavez, and those who are, who are against him. And that's going to remain. This legacy of division uh, is going to basically shape, I think, Latin American politics for a long time to come. Let's go back to Mauricio Macri. President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner has been able to hold this together, the economic system with patches and, and, and other things to make it work to this point. Um, now, with a shift in those policies, um, is he going to be blamed then for the the inevitable crunch that's about to come before any of his uh, solutions can be put into play? It's a good question. I was talking to a um, fellow faculty member the other day who's a former uh, central bank governor and, and president in, in um, Argentina, and we both agreed, like, why would his Mauricio Macri even want this job? Um, because there are a couple things that are really stacked against him. For one thing, uh, as we noted, he doesn't have a huge mandate. It's about two percentage points, three percentage points. It's not huge. Second, um, despite the fact that the economy has been limping along for some time, there's not a sense of crisis in Argentina yet. So um, people don't feel, they don't have that sort of appetite or there isn't, isn't that cushion for drastic measures that would exist if the bottom had fallen out of the economy, say, as it did in 2001 or as it did in 1989. Um, and then third, he doesn't have much uh, in, in the Congress. He has only a few, his party only has a few seats in, in the Congress, in the Senate and in the, in the lower house. So he's going to have to implement a whole series of reforms to address the conditions that I mentioned. He's going to have to devalue the currency. He's, he's going to have to basically cut um, uh, spending, which will mean laying off a lot of people. Um, and he's probably going to have to reduce inflation, which will also have some effects. All of those are going to have um, really basically have a chilling effect on the economy. It may boost gr growth, but it will mean people's um, cost of living will increase as well as because of the devaluation, as well as the likelihood that they will, um, uh, might, many will lose their jobs. So it's going to be, you know, we'll see how, how his political skills are. I will say that he has 
two things very much in his favor. One is, is his group of technocrats. The Economist article talks about that, but I've been saying this for a long time. He has surrounded himself with, I'll be, I'll be honest, uh, some of my some of my friends, actually, people really well-trained technocrats who know their stuff, which is very different from the previous administration, the current administration, the Kirchners, who were mostly political hacks. So he has that. The second is, I think he's going to be welcomed by the United States and the international community and will receive, I think, some benefits, um, including um, perhaps the allowance to settle an outstanding debt that the Kirchners refuse to accept, which will allow him to gain access to international capital markets again to basically boost uh, the, the country's reserves. So he'll have a few advantages, mostly sort of internationally, but politically, uh, the cards are very much stacked against him. Are we going to then see him settle out with the courts in New York and, and the various hedge funds that have been waiting to settle the, the debt in Argentina for quite some time? Yeah, he will. And I think um, I think two things will happen. They'd already signaled their willingness to reach some sort of agreement. So, in fact, he, he will, in that sense, benefit from some of the groundwork that had been laid by the Kirchners. So they're already willing to cut some sort of deal. We don't know what it will be. I imagine um, the U.S. government and others will be placing some pressure on him. Um, the, the main hedge fund manager, Peter Singer, is actually a big um, supporter of Marco Rubio. Um, and it's very much in, in Marco Rubio's and in, in the Republicans' interest, too, to see this conservative Republican Party in Argentina um, you know, have some sort of boost w- upon coming into office. So I think you'll see some, some benefit there in settling, and that will give him access to uh, international capital markets. And the truth is... You know, people have invested in, in, in Argentina, you know, the big investment banks, hedge funds, because it, it, it's a good place to do business. They have a lot of natural advantages, primarily very productive agriculture. Um, but, you know, they still have a very well-educated base. Google's uh, uh, South American uh, main central office is in Buenos Aires, as is Microsoft's. It's, a, it's, a, it's got a very good economic base. The question is, is can this country sort of stumble through or get through the next couple um, belt tightening years to be able to take advantage of it? What haven't we covered that you think is important for us to look forward to in this new term by Mauricio Macri? I think internationally, um, you alluded to it earlier, Rick, what this means in the region. Um, you know, basically, the um, Venezuela just lost a large ally, um, a great supporter. Um, and um, as it heads into what will be very difficult legislative elections. Uh, Mauricio Macri has said that he will vote to kick Venezuela out of Mercosur um, because of the democracy clause of Mercosur, should it not conduct free and fair elections on December 6th and release political prisoners. And that's the Southern Cone economic bloc that includes others. Exactly. That includes uh, Brazil, Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, and Venezuela. Um, so, and I think, you know, the region has lacked a very strong voice against uh, the erosion of democracy in Venezuela. And I think Macri may actually provide somewhat of a, of a foil for that, that will allow others to stand up as well, Uruguay, uh, Brazil in particular. So I think you're looking and, and you're looking at a definite a shift in sort of geopolitics and in foreign policy, because you know, the the current, although soon to be ex foreign minister Hector Timmermans, you know, really delighted in in poking his finger in the eye of the United States. Um, this is going to be a much more pro U.S. government, and I think it's going to change the tenor of the debate um, within the region. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris Sabatini of Columbia University, the editor of the website Latin America Goes Global, joining us from New York via Skype today on Latin Pulse.
Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks, Rick.